Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. You may be into punk rock, soft rock, or classic rock, R&B, hip-hop, or house, country, techno, or techno-country. But no matter what kind of music you listen to, here's something else you should hear. Please consider getting vaccinated. Talk to your pharmacist today about Comirnaty, COVID-19 vaccine mRNA. This message brought to you by BioNTech and Pfizer. Welcome back to the Cosmology and Science Podcast. I am Richard and I'm your host today. And in this episode, we're going to have the review of the third book from Stephen C. Meyer, which is called The Return of the God Hypothesis. So we've been postponing this a little bit because we have been digesting and thinking about the book and looking through it several times. And uh, it's a very hard book to review in many ways because it the scope is so big. It tries to pull together so many different areas uh, both from science but also then from theology and from philosophy and it's um, it's both complicated to to evaluate to, to read in places and also to to create kind of a coherent review because it depends so much on who is reading it so but we're going to say just a few of our, our um, immediate thoughts is that the work of Stephen Meyer is super interesting as a starting point to, for new research and to just reevaluate some of the things that is often seen as kind of settled and sorted science, which has, especially in the case of cell biology and kind of the, the nanomachinery within the cells and the DNA, it has made it increasingly hard to maintain the old hypothesis from Darwin that everything just happens by random when we take into account the time frame of of like the available time frame for random mutations. So it, it the book and Stephen Meyer's work in general, kind of, it makes a great case for looking into this and to kind of getting a, a, a hold of, the, of where there is a, a mystery and a, and a limitation to the knowledge we have and where to look for, for new things. And we could also say that since in this case we read the two first books first both uh, the Darwin's doubt about the Cambrian explosion and then the one before that with the signature of the cell those two books are in some ways more convincing in in the sense that they give you just a hard science so when you just study those books and you start to understand both kind of how the body plans of the the in before the Cambrian explosion, the kind of the trilobison, like how enormous differences you got so quickly, the f- the facts and kind of the the science of the biology in itself makes its own argument, and perhaps even more so if you look into the DNA and how the DNA is copied, and then when you know the structure of the information in the DNA, that it is 
you have very sophisticated compre uh, compression techniques. You also have this kind of, um, <laughs> it's a coded or like cryptation techniques, that small little enzymes. You take one bit of the DNA sequence as a gene and you run it through one little enzyme and then they, you get a different information stream on the, the bit of the DNA, which is also a functional kind of a code for another protein or for some other genetic information. Uh, so there's so much packed into the DNA that, and we still don't know. Maybe we only know a little bit of this. So those aspects that, that Meyer has been laying forth earlier leaves one wondering how this could uh, have happened just by random. So that's the hard science part. So now with the, his third book, and the return of the God hypothesis, he's also making the whole cosmological argument. And that's where, especially for the, the things we've been working on here earlier to kind of look more into some of the basis for like the Big Bang Theory and uh, seeing the whole field of cosmology as a very young field. Uh, it's full of unknowns. There are big jumps to conclusions even. The basis of the Big Bang Theory is questionable with the redshift that to automatically uh, interpret that as only being the Doppler effect. It could be gravitational effects. It could also be just like the the amount of, of distance that the light travels could be a part of it. And you also have other problems with uh, the age of the universe and this invention of things like the dark matter and the dark energy that nobody knows what is. It has never been seen or or detected or constructed. It's only something that is put into the equations to make it work. So with that about cosmology, that part is not a convincing element of the overall argument. But cosmology in general could be an example of our limitations of knowledge and the limitations of the scientific knowledge as of today. So that is kind of the overall first impression of reading the book, that if you want a hard science that can make you think and, and be stunned by some of the complexities of nature, the first two books are in many ways better. Uh, and then the third book has this weakness about cosmology and uh, it also goes through the whole nature of philosophy of science, but it becomes very kind of encyclopedic in places. And he's running through the, the usual arguments. But there is a, a very important point in there, which is that the current impression of this uh, total separation or conflict between science and the spiritual or religion or the mysterious, or the divine, is an anomaly in the bigger historical context. So we've been working a lot with Dante for, for several years and looked at the medieval science and, and the unification of science and literature and theology in the 11, 12, 1300s. And all of this was, was this coherent, harmonious way of looking at the world. And then in Meyer's book, he's also laying out how this was also the case in the beginning of the 1600s with Newton, with Kepler, with Galileo, 
So this is really important and good examples of how one could always acknowledge that there are things beyond our current knowledge and we don't know what that is. It, that kind of points more to like an agnostic position as the rational position. Uh, and then you can also see that this very strong conflict that is common to to perceive that is there uh, came more in the late 1800s and it is in part perhaps a consequence of enormous progress within the sciences and then a bit of overconfidence and then this is a kind of a pendulum that goes through history because suddenly one can explain much more of of the natural world of the creation of the material world but then there are you get a wide kind of array of new discoveries that create all these new questions and then there's a little bit of humility coming back that we still have new things to learn. Maybe we have to revise our theories. Maybe we have to develop our um, the models and also maybe the paradigm that has was fully valid within one in one context. But as the whole context is being kind of enlarged, there are new things to take into account. The classic example of Newton's physics and Einstein's physics. So Newton's physics uh, are still valid within a, a smaller frame or like a, a smaller context. But then if you go much bigger, then you need the relativity of Einstein. So um, already you can see when we start talking about the book, it kind of goes a little bit all over the place. But uh, just to look at how the book is sectioned. So the opening is really good. So the prologue is great. The first part, the rise and fall of theistic science is a really interesting part. So that part alone can be read and just then you get a new view perhaps of the history of science, of philosophy and theology and get a little bit adjustment to how it's often seen today as being too much like in, in conflict. And also this one claim which is perhaps for many people totally new, which is that some of the Judeo-Christian um, Tradition is in some ways the foundation for the modern science in the sense that he's making the, the case here with the Greeks had, like the Greeks worship the Logos in many ways. And, and Logos is often tra translated as the word, but Logos is also in a sense the understandableness of the world. It's kind of it's the, the Greek conviction that things can be understood, but also the concept of intelligibility, like you can understand things in itself, is the logos. So, and then humans are kind of, we are the ones who kind of work through this logos all the time, that meaning we are discerning and, and understanding and we are working on kind of nuancing and refining like again and again and again the understanding and kind of trying to grasp the understandableness of the world. So this is in many ways like at the center, at the core of the Greek philosophy and thinking and conviction with the logos. In the Hebrew tradition, the center is the divine, which in many ways also has intelligibility and knowledge in itself. Like the ark, like in the center, like the tablets are kind of the moral code or kind of the, <laughs> the, the, the deepest knowledge about the world. And then you have the cherubims are kind of these um, angelic beings for knowledge, the streams of knowledge. They are the one who's protecting the ark, kind of the heart of the faith. 
so they're both portals into it and they're protecting it. They were also put into the Garden of Eden, like metaphorically. The, the forces of the beings that are both protecting and and opening the, the, the gate into the deepest mysteries with the knowledge. So knowledge is also in the Hebrew very deep, but it is seen as something divine. And it has a creator, and then, now we're way into theology, but in some ways the stunning part of the Jewish stories with this covenant is that they, th- they, they came to this point where they said or assumed or claimed that uh, the world is predictable and that the creator is something like is behaving in a way and also uh, not creating kind of um, like recreating or destroying everything at, at whims, but it is, is this agreement, which is a, in some ways can be seen as uh, a version of this logos that there are rules to the creation, to the material cosmos and to the spiritual cosmos as well, to the extent that we can understand that realm, but it is made with a rational basis. So this is what Meyer is kind of laying at the base here that for, for how this created modern science, that understanding this and trying to dig, dig into if you have a creator that's acting with rationality, then you want to figure out and you want to dig into the specifics of how it was made. Instead of thinking that it was made by some um, eternal uh, logical laws that you can kind of deduce everything, you want to see the specifics of how things were made. So, uh, and then that is again what drove the big figures like Newton and Galileo and Kepler into understanding more of of how science and like the scientific explanation of nature and the world and how things were working like an impetus for the deeper inquiries so the first part of the book excellent and then you get to more of the the arguments with the cosmology biology also the physics and then long parts of of the philosophical arguments and the refutations and and summing up this debate that keeps going over the centuries. So, uh, we're just going to jump to the conclusions here now. If you, like, the book is highly recommended if this this area is new. Uh, does Meyer make the case that the the God hypothesis is coming back? We could give it like a maybe and or a maybe plus. It, the book makes the case that the uh, kind of closing that door completely seems more questionable now than maybe just 50 years ago because we see more that there are more mysteries now than it was that doesn't mean uh, that we don't we're not going to find out why or kind of get more explanations but but at the moment uh there should be a little bit more humility in terms of the sophistication of both the micro nano level of of uh, nature and also the the overall uh, kind of cosmic 
the size and, and context of, of the whole of the creation or of, of the universe. So, so that, uh, that part of the argument is, is a good one. And then how to interpret that, how, where to conclude from that is more open. And that maybe this could be helpful also that in the first two books of Stephen Meyer, he doesn't say anything beyond that. He's just making the argument for, for what to question. In the third book, he's making the argument for like the theological argument. So, uh, and if you follow that or not, that would be kind of more like a personal um, belief or conviction in many ways. So, um, but we also would say then that, uh, and then also like, is, is the book recommended? Absolutely. Um, would you, should you start with the third book? That's a maybe. If you're more into the scientific kind of the hard science, we would still recommend the first or the second book more. Maybe the, the second one with the Darwin's doubt, because then you get both the DNA part and the Cambrian explosion. Uh, if this is known and you want to see more of the arguments, then the third book is also great. It could also be an opener, but it's a little bit high level. Uh, so, so this is kind of where we're ending with the whole uh, evaluation, kind of the, the, the review, the rating. So we tried here towards the end to make a little bit of the, uh, make some criteria here for the structure of the book. We gave it a seven. It's a little bit all over the place. It's also a little bit encyclopedic in places. But that goes to the nature of, of what he's trying to do, the scope of it. Uh, the clarity of the book, we give it an 8. He is a great writer. Uh, it's a little bit uneven. Some Like the flow is a bit uneven in places. Some parts inevitably are a little bit like <laughs> explanatory, but they, it goes a little bit out of the general flow of the argument of the book. And then, as we said his argument in itself, when it comes to the DNA and nanomachine part, we give it a 10 in terms of uh, making the case for, for the mysteries. The Cambrian explosion, we give it an 8. Cosmology, we give it a 4 because we, we don't agree with the, with, the, with, the, with the basis in especially the Big Bang Theory. So uh, uh, it's also... Uh, the Big Bag Theory is made by a theologian, by a Catholic priest. So it's a little bit um, like there is a reason why the Big Bang Theory as a scientific theory fits with the biblical narrative. And it is because it's made by a person who was based in the biblical narrative. So it, that is an element that should be a part of, of, uh, of the assessment <laughs> of of why those two things fit so well together, seemingly. Uh, okay, and then, so overall, we give the book a 7 out of 10. Uh, if you read the two first books, we will give it a little bit less, then it will be kind of a 5, because it, it doesn't add that much new things, and um, there's, there's not enough new science in there to, to write the full book, but it's more like a summary of, of his work. Uh, so it's a good read. Uh, if you have re read nothing of him, again, start with book two rather than book three. Uh, and is it like something you should know about? Absolutely. He's an important figure. He's making a great argument. This whole Discovery Institute are asking good questions. One might disagree with the conclusions, but it's some. It is. It could be like a vehicle or so, a place to open up new questions and areas for research, and it's absolutely a more fruitful place 
to go on adventure and get inspiration to try to find out new things and discover new science and new theories and a better understanding of the world and maybe also kind of extraordinary uh, discoveries that can come in the next 50 to 100 years, for example. So um, I think we're going to stop it there. It's about 20 minutes. And um, again, we have the same feeling as when we read the book and when we thought about the book and now going through this in an episode. It's hard to, to, to wrap it up uh, fully, but hope there was some input there, some uh, food for thought. And um, as always, thank you so much for listening and see you again in another episode. You may be into punk rock, soft rock, or classic rock, R&B, hip hop, or house, country, techno, or techno country. But no matter what kind of music you listen to, here's something else you should hear. Please consider getting vaccinated. Talk to your pharmacist today about Comirnaty, COVID-19 vaccine mRNA. This message brought to you by BioNTech and Pfizer. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.